We were sitting out on the step, you know. I don't know what to say, really. But I have the pride, the privilege, nay, the pleasure of introducing to you. Brent. Fast last night, I cut the light off in my bedroom, hit the switch, was in the bed before the room was dark. I'm gonna show you how great I am. Let's start the show. I love going out with my dog and just hanging out with my, you know, just like we all like take long walks with him at night and stuff and we and just like hang out and That's sit right. down somewhere or Welcome something. Back. This, uh, this episode is not about dogs. Although Sam's getting a cat, which is very nice. Getting a cat. Yeah. I'm and taking suggestions turtle, for names. Having a turtle is nice, but he doesn't really love you back, you know. Yeah, I have a turtle. The hell? I didn't know yeah. that. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I've got a turtle, but I don't think he knows how to love. He just knows how to use me. He's he only reptile. Yeah. What type of what? I said he's only he's only got a reptile brain. Yeah. Cold blooded reptilian brain. Love. No, they have no capacity for it. But maybe that is love for him. He's like, yes, human. Well, this week, we, uh, <laughs> I asked Harris and Sam to find their favorite piece of delivered literature, i.e. Mm. a speech, and just to see what we could come up with. I know we probably all fancy ourselves to a degree to be bit of wordsmiths or <laughs> of the written and spoken word because we're not good at anything else right yeah <laughs> and i mean i we're some might say we're not that good at this either <laughs> but it doesn't matter you know we don't let that keep us down no we don't care if we're bad i'm gonna be i'm ugly and i'm proud you know That's right yeah. face for radio you just do okay? it That's right. so i we, they, we we went out and everyone got or found a speech or a monologue, yeah. whatever. And we're here to deliver it and to react to it. And uh, which one of you wants to go first? Uh, I mean, you can go first, Brady. Yeah. If you yeah. want. We want you okay. to go first. I actually found somebody else giving it. So Perfect. I'm just playing it because. Oh, you piece of shit. <laughs> I've been practicing all day. <laughs> well, no, I, obviously, like background first, right? But. I like that. So I was going to do um, the Opus Mutiny. Do you know what that is? Does that ring any bells? What's that for? Damn, you might know. Yeah, I think I do know what that is. I think I know exactly. I know what the word Opus is. Well, is this from that movie reference... that we watched? It's in reference to a city. Not like in a well and an event technically, but no, it's uh so in whatever year BC, uh like year twelve of Alexander the Great's like conquest through the Middle East, they mutinied once in year ten at the Indus River and it had to turn back and it, so they get back to Opus, which is it's it's like 50 miles from modern day Baghdad and uh, his army that his army he's gonna send a lot of the veterans that have been with him home for because it's fucking been 12 years right 
was like, all right, you guys have done enough. You're getting a little old. Go home, be with your, you know, wives you haven't seen in 10 years and blah, blah, blah. They're like, well, we don't want to do that. That's kind of messed up. We were bitching about going home for, you know, the last four years. But now that we have the chance, we're kind of offended that you said that. So then he delivers this speech in response to that. And it, it, it's great. This little British dude did it. And I found a video. It's incredible. Because I don't have a British accent, I chose this one. Because it is much better. So Everyone in radio knows that British accents make you Are better. much better. 100%. Yeah. So we'll see how the oh, level yeah. will go. I might just do my speech in a British accent then. Harris, Sam Hark. You like this? Am I speaking in British? Well, you're fucking it up, Sam. All right, we'll let him go. We'll let him go. Oh, you're you're ready now? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. All right, Governor. You go back a couple yeah, seconds. But how were the levels of that, Harris? Since you were paying attention. A little louder, please. Sam has a knack for fucking things up. Just a bit louder. We bit louder. All right. <laughs> Tossa. Tossa. What I'm about to say isn't meant to stop you returning home. Yeah. As far as I care, you can go wherever you wish. But I want you to know how you have behaved towards me and how I have treated you. I'll begin, as is right, with my father, Philip. When he found you, you were mere peasants, wearing hides, tending a few sheep on the mountain slopes, and you could barely defend them from your neighbors. Under him, you began living in cities with good laws and customs, and he turned you from slaves into rulers over those very barbarians who used to plunder your land. He conquered most of Thrace, taking the best harbors so there was trade and prosperity, and put the mines to steady work. The Thessalians, they used to terrify you. Well, we rule them now. The Athenians and Thebans, always looking for a chance to attack Macedonia, were so humble, myself playing my small part in the war, that they no longer take tribute from Macedonia but instead depend upon us for their protection. My father went to the Peloponnese and put their house in order. Then he was declared supreme commander of all the Greeks for the campaign against the Persians, an honor not just for himself, but for all Macedonians. This is what my father Philip did for you. Great enough on its own but small compared to what you've gained from me. I crossed the Hellespont, even though back then the Persians still commanded the sea. I defeated the satraps, the great King Darius, and made you rulers of Ionia, Aeolus, Phrygia, and Lydia, and took Miletus by siege. The rest of the land surrendered willingly and their wealth became yours. All the riches of Egypt and Cyrene, which I won without a fight, are yours now. Syria, Palestine, Mesopotamia, Babylonia, all belong to you. The wealth of Lydia, 
the treasures of Persia, the jewels of India and the outer sea. You are now satraps. You are generals and captains. What have I held back for myself apart from this purple cloak and diadem? Nothing. No man can point to my riches, only the things I hold in trust for you all. And what would I do with them anyway? I eat what you eat. I get no more rest than you. Many times I have spent the night on watch so that you could sleep soundly. Who among you believes he's worked harder for me than I have for him? Come on. If you've got scars, strip and show them to me. I'll show you mine. There isn't one part of my body, the front at least, that doesn't bear a wound. My body's covered in scars from every weapon you can think of. Swords, arrows, stones, clubs. All for the sake of your lives, your glory and your wealth. And yet here I still am leading you as conqueror of land and sea, rivers, mountains and the plains. We've celebrated our weddings together. Many of your children will be cousins of my own. I've paid off your debts without asking how you got them, even though you're paid well enough and pillage every city we take. Many of you wear golden crowns, badges of courage and honor given you by me. Any one of us who was killed, who met a glorious end, we buried with full honors. Many now stand immortalized by bronze statues in Macedonia. Their families are honored and pay no taxes. Under my command, not one man has been killed fleeing the enemy. And now I wanted to send back some of you who've been wounded or crippled, who have grown old, to be welcomed back home as heroes. But since you all wish to go, then all of you, go! Go home and tell them that your king, Alexander, conqueror of the Persians, Medes, Bactrians, and Scythians, who now rules over the Parthians, Chorasmians, and Hyacanians as far as the Caspian Sea, who's marched over the mountains of the Hindu Kush, crossed the Oxus and Tanias rivers, even the Indus, first to cross it since Dionysus himself. I would have crossed the high faces too if you hadn't cowered in fear who sailed into the great sea from the mouth of the Indus, who crossed the desert of Gedrosia, where no one had ever led an army, who took Carmenia while my fleet sailed the Persian Gulf. When you get home, you tell them that when you made it back to Susa, you abandoned him and went home, leaving him under the protection of the foreigners you'd conquered. Perhaps this report of yours will seem glorious in the eyes of men and worthy in the eyes of the gods. Be gone. I get it. Wow. Yeah, that was good, man. I mean, what what's the background? Like, what was the like context of that speech? Do you know? You are an idiot. to jump off a cliff at the enemy sacrifice my life i will jump on a sword for, oh, for that man 
they uh so like you said they went all the way east to india and to get there they win this battle i guess suffered a lot of casualties so they're like yeah fuck this we want to go home who's a good speaker oh yeah well i don't we don't know we know that the guy that really oh, yeah, he could have Alexander the Great could have sounded like a big weenie on stage. That's man. what I'm saying. He could have sounded like But that guy, that guy that guy knew how to do hundred percent. That's why I, I don't know. Like what does a Macedonian accent sound like? I don't know. I'm right? imagining it probably wouldn't sound very cool compared to yeah, I don't know. five foot two, I'm assuming five foot two British guy that just did that. Totally different. But no, they uh, so they mutinied, you know that is right. When your lower level goes against the commanding whoever, mm-hmm. you know whether that's officer, it could be naval, any kind of militaristic setting. And they're like, no, we don't want to. They're like, you're becoming too Persian. You're doing this. You're doing that. We don't like that. You want mm-hmm. us to go home. Well, you're too Persian. We feel like you're abandoning us. Blah, blah, blah. We're not your army anymore or whatever. And then he says that. And they're like, oh. And then apparently, like, allegedly, they begged for forgiveness after that. And there's this emotional reconciliation. The big thing with Alexander the Great that makes him so interesting is he died. He started the campaign when he was 19. Okay. So he was was a youngin, right? And this, he, this was two year, two months before he died. He died at 32. So he, his, he, he thought that his, his whole life was done. Yeah. Yeah. He thought his destiny was to conquer the entire world. He thought that was Damn. a blind destiny. It's badass, man. And he had like a Bruce Lee type death. Like no one knows how he died to this day. They're just like, he randomly got sick and was dead. Like, he nope. gave the longest speech ever and died of exhaustion. There was a there was a US president. I can't remember what his name was. I William, feel like it was like William was it Harrison? He gave a huge speech, right? Yeah. In in the cold of the winter without a jacket on. Right. He died right. several months later, like yeah, short afterwards in his term. <laughs> idiot. That's what you get for boring. He was sick. He got pneumonia. Yeah. yeah. He got pneumonia from being outside when he was giving that speech. And that, yeah. Is that the speech that you were going to do? No, no. <laughs> word for word. The, the, nine, the, the nine, nine and a half hour, hour one. The nine and a half hour speech. <laughs> that would be funny. It's good. All right. Hey, probably um, a speech, too. I can go next. Okay. All right. All right, so my speech is a monologue from this movie called Fritz the Cat, and I don't. You guys may have heard me talk about this movie before. It's it's one of my favorite movies. It's from this. It's from it's from the '60s. It's from this counterculture uh, animation director named Ralph Bakshi, and so Fritz the Cat is the first ever X-rated animated film, and it is. What? Like, it is an animated film for an adults for for adults but it's it's made up of like you know almost disneyish looking like animal cartoon characters yeah. 
Like, it's like, X-rated because there's like titties in it. Dude, there's titties. There's fucking. There's drugs. There's violence. There's neo Nazis. There's stabbings. There's shootings. It's a crazy movie. It's also like a comedy, basically, but it's really fucked up. This movie is amazing to me. Um, there is like a lot to say about it. Like it, it, it's a film where you could. There's lots to criticize, but honestly, I think it's actually better looking at it from a modern perspective because it becomes not only is it counterculture of the 60s but it also kind of embodies all of the problems that we see in that era now so it's like this weird sort of self it, it appears to be this weird sort of self-aware satire uh from I was just gonna say, so, wait it was made during the time right so that would make it like kind of strangely self-aware if it was yeah yeah That's so it's it is it's counterculture so it's critiquing mainstream culture of the time but it's also so old that nowadays it's like you kind of would have a lot to say about it because it also sort of embodies some of the things that we don't like about that era but it makes it more interesting because the whole film is sort of blase you're not supposed to take the main character seriously in my opinion he's kind of he's he's kind of a, a loser the main character fritz the cat who He's just he's just a hypocrite who's standing around calling everyone else a hypocrite. That's his character. And so he kind of goes through the world being pissed off at everyone and being like, I'm not like you guys. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. But really, he's kind of caught up in the same. And then he ended up in Vietnam, too. Uh, Basically, I kind of the end of the movie is really fucking weird. But right. You know, Brady, that 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 honestly, that's something that probably would be apt for a movie like this, you know, is like. Yeah, sure, because he's a student, and then it would be yeah. it would be funny if he I could see Ralph Bakshi digging that if he, if he just ended up in war or something like that because he also oh, had stuff to say the, about uh, that. The content, what's going on before this monologue? In the so this is at the beginning of the movie, right before this is Fritz's speech that he gives right before he basically decides to sort of like cast off the everyday world and and go out and have an adventure. Um, and he, yeah, okay, so I'll I'll. I'll give the speech. Let me pull up my. He comes. He walks in on his two roommates. Okay. Who so, are his okay. two roommates? Is that important? Oh, it's not. It's not really important. Okay. Okay. This is how the scene goes. I had a great time. I had a great thing going until that friggin' till the friggin' fuzz showed up. I wish that skinny broad didn't turn on the shower too. I think I'm getting a cold. Hello, men. Everybody studying for their goddamn exams. Hey, Buzz. How's it? How'd it go with that Dee Dee chick? She's got some bod. You have to admit. Charlene isn't bad either, though, right? Like, wow, Heinz, you swine, old buddy pig. You groove behind Alvina. Get some kicks tonight. Bastards. You think the goddamn exams was the be-all, end-all of, of existence, cosmic life force or something. You think they were friggin' fugitives. Can't even get a few decent words to a guy. Bastards. What a bore. They just sit there and take bennies and stay up all night with their face stuck in a bunch of books and their thumb up their ass. Yes, yes, I remember the time when it was all very inspiring and enlightening. All the history and literature and sociology shit. You think learning is a really big thing. And then you become this big fucking intellectual and sit around trying to out-intellectual all the other big fucking intellectuals. You spend years and years with your nose buried in these goddamn tomes while the world is passing you by. All the stuff to see, all the kicks, and all the girls are out there. And me, a writer and a poet who should be having adventures and experiencing all the diversities and paradoxes and ironies of life and passing over all the roads of the world and digging all the cities and towns and rivers and the oceans and making all of them chicks. 
Oh, God. As a writer and a poet, it is my duty to get out there and dig the world, to swim in the whole friggin' scene while there's still time, man. My farting around days are over, baby. From this day on, I shall live every day as if it were my last. I must do it. No more of the dreary, boring classes, dismal lectures, sitting around bullshitting with pretentious, fat-ass hippies. No more of the books, the spouting of old bunch of farts who think they know the whole goddamn score. Oh my god, what have I done? I set all my notes and books on fire. Now I can't study for exams. I'll funk out. My folks will be pissed off. Uh, I'll get a blanket. Oh, the blanket's on fire. Uh, we better call the fire department. Scene. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's the scene. That's pretty funny. Thanks. No, I, I, like I that. get it. I get it. Yeah. I've probably said something like that to myself like once every day exactly for the last how long. That goes. Yeah. Okay. I feel like everyone that goes to college, that, that they have that once a week. Yeah. Especially yeah. now. And then you never do it. Right. Because everyone's all talk. Like he, he doesn't do it. He's like, oh my God, wait. Well, he basically does, but he's a huge failure anyway. That's kind of, that's good. Yeah. So you, you got it. It's like, it's essentially, he just kind of still, it's a, it's a sort of a comedy of errors, this movie, you know, he just sort of yeah. like stumbles his way through the story. That's, that's I like it. Tough. I'm going to watch that movie now. Yeah. You, you two, you two would really enjoy this movie. I think, I think anyone who, uh, you know, has, known us for any amount of time like if you like our stuff then you probably would enjoy this movie too what's it called again? it's called fritz the cat fritz the cat yeah and it's the whole point of it is that when you look it up it's supposed to look like it could be an innocuous animated film but it's like no not at all uh, yeah I, I looked it up and the they had a poster where it was like it's not x-rated for nothing or something yeah like that. yeah that's the whole yeah it's crazy <laughs> It's good. It's a good it's movie. Not X right It's not. I like. It's the- it's you know it's a complicated movie and it's like I think a lot of people nowadays would probably be really pissed at it because it's not PC at all. But that's kind of the point, and that's also kind of why I like it is because it's a movie that you sort of need to watch with like, uh, you have to be aware of what you know. You have to be aware of the context it was made in and all these yeah. things because otherwise you would take one look at it and then just be like, oh my god, this is so offensive, eh, you know. But it's. Yeah, I don't. Do you think would it? I don't really care about offensive things in the world right. today. What'd you say, Brady? Like, would it pass today? No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, so I, I, I learned about this movie from my animation history class that I took when I was a freshman and that class was awesome and the teacher really like understood the shit and she she knew her history and knew that you know this film and the work of Ralph Bakshi isn't like you know some <laughs> dangerous political ideology but I think there are plenty of people who would who could watch this film and not know the context or the history or the social critique or sort of get all the layers to it and then just be like this is a disgusting like sort of right-wing weirdo like sex freak movie i don't know i i think it would be easy to judge is all i'm saying they, but they it's more- think that it was some kind of proud boys film well i mean yeah dude in today's society like nothing can ever really be published on a broad scale if it's not like marketable you know like if anyone well, is gonna bring up that point too that's where like even the term counterculture today counterculture like as people 
common people recognize it today, it doesn't exist because it's too marketed. It's, it is a conical. I think that's a good point. Right. And you know what? That's the other thing is that for some people, this movie goes too far. For everyone else, this movie won't go far enough because this idea of counterculture is exactly what you were talking about, where like this 60s version of counterculture is now mainstream. So in order to be counterculture, you have to be like three times as counterculture. Yeah, you gotta go all yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's what I want to do, man. Into the murky water. That's basically what all the, the that's basically I'm what all the hyper acid and Zeppelin to fucking once a week, like really, really getting into it, man. Whereas oh, yeah. before it was just like, I'm gonna smoke a joint and read some socialist thing, right? Yeah, and, yeah. But I mean, yeah. that's 60s versus now. You got 80 yeah. years, no, 60 yeah. years. Dude, and I, I mean, know. I'm, Everything these days is just amplified, man. All the commercialized cultures amplified. All the weird authoritarian cultures amplified. All the all the weird, all, all the parts of society have been amplified a lot these days. Yeah. But you know, the, it, it seems really, watching it again, it, it, it still feels really relevant because even if you swap out the sort of things that it's critiquing, I think the overall thing that lasts about this movie, the stuff that makes it still relevant and watchable now, is that it's not just a critique about one specific culture. It's a critique of like broad oh. culture in general, of just like how the sort of societal norms create disillusioned youth and people who i don't know they sort of self-perpetuate this sort of like weird misery of society that like you know it, it just sort of seeps into the young people and i don't know it's i think it's it's still relevant. i get it no i, I get yeah. what you're saying interesting and then for our third and final we have young mr arraign Oh man, mine wasn't as good as those two. I, I chose an actual historical speech. Well, I mean Brady's was too, but yeah, mine yeah. much more recently. Mine is the uh, is one by Winston Churchill. Oh, sick. dude, he's probably my favorite public speaker. Actually. Yeah. So it's not as funny or, or intense like that, but he's a really good speaker. Uh, good this one, a little background. A little background on this is. Um, so basically, he spoke this one on the 13th of May. It's my birthday, actually. But uh, on the 13th of May, uh, 1940, which was like uh, just a couple days after he was like quickly like rushed into uh, the seat of like prime minister. Um, you know, this is like right at the start of like. Oh, that's right. The declaration of like emergency powers, right? Because yeah, because the he replaced. He replaced Neville Chamberlain on the three days prior and he made this speech because basically like he was switching out the government like within a matter of like just a really wow. quick amount of time. Um, so he made this speech and it goes like this. I don't know if I should do the, the accent. I'm terrible at it, but it's like, uh, Mr. Speaker, on Friday evening last, I received his majesty's commission to form a new administration. It was the evident wish and will of parliament and the nation that this should be conceived on the broadest possible basis and that it should include all parties, both those who supported the late government and also the parties of the opposition. I have completed the most important part of this task. A war cabinet has been formed of five members representing with the liberal opposition, the unity of the nation. The three leader, party leaders have agreed to serve either in the war cabinet or in high executive office. The three fighting services have been filled. It was necessary that this should be done in a single day on account of the extreme urgency and rigor of events. A number of other key positions were filled yesterday, 
and I am submitting a further list to His Majesty tonight. I hope to complete the appointment of the principal ministers tomorrow. The appointment of the other ministers usually takes a little longer, but I will trust that when Parliament meets again, this part of my task will be completed and that the administration will be complete in all respects. Sir, I consider it in the public interest to suggest that the House should be summoned to meet today, Mr. Speaker, agreed to and took, uh, Mr. Speaker agreed and took the necessary steps in accordance with the powers conferred upon by him by the resolution of the House. At the end of the proceedings today, the adjournment of the House will be proposed until Tuesday, the 21st of May, with, of course, provision for earlier meeting if need be. The business to be considered during that week will be notified to members at the earliest opportunity. I now invite the House by the resolution which stands in my name to record its approval of the steps taken and declare its competence in the new government. Sir, to inform an administration of this scale and complexity is a serious undertaking in itself, but it will be remembered that we are in the preliminary stage of one of the greatest battles in history, that we are in action at many points in Norway and in Holland that we have to be prepared in the Mediterranean, that the air battle is continuous and that many preparations have to be made here at home. In this crisis, I hope I may be pardoned if I do not address the house at any length today. I hope that any of my friends and colleagues or former colleagues who are affected by the political reconstruction will make all allowances for any lack of ceremony with which it has been necessary to act. I would say to the house, as I said to those who've joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears and sweat. I have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I say it is to wage war by sea, land and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in only one word, victory. Victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. Let that be realized, no survival for the British Empire, no survival for all that the British Empire has stood for, and no survival for the urge and impulse of all the ages, that mankind will move forward towards its goals but I will take up my task with buoyancy and hope. I feel sure that our cause will not be suffered to fail among men. At this time, I feel entitled to claim the aid of all. And I say, come then, let us go forward together with our united strength. I mean, the part of it is mostly just addressing the, uh, yeah, just the change in He's like, yo. Yeah, he's that, like, yo, man, that's, that's no for like abandonment of bureaucratic ceremony. Okay. Right. He was like, that, was that's, like, the, guys, that's like the excuse for it, the justification for right. it. Yeah. So I, I would hate to have to go through the long version. Yeah. <laughs> you know I would hate I mean? to. Uh, also, you know, like he, he's just like, listen, I understand that you guys all know that this isn't really how we do things, but like we're about to fight like probably the biggest war like ever you know um so your traditions but we, we got to get this done you know we got to move because there, there's there's a lot that's going to happen and i i thought it was a pretty good pretty good speech in that i was originally planning to do the one that he did um uh, was after, that the uh, fight on the beaches 
Yeah, but that one's been overdone, and I, I was reading. Oh this yeah, one, I was like, I like this one a lot. That one's super underrated. I think. I know. You, know, you did. I think because everyone Churchill knows is... fight on the beaches yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I love. He's, a, he's one of my favorite people to see represented in like Hollywood and reenactments and shit because yeah. he's like he's definitely one of the most unique people that has ever existed ever in terms oh, yeah. of like a politician i think he's the coolest po- I, he was he was, he was like, like oh i love it who's your favorite president I'm like i don't like any u.s presidents you know? <laughs> like, yeah I right like, yeah. Churchill. I like churchill yeah yeah could you imagine <laughs> i mean yeah he was like, cool man he was stalin could you imagine yeah. when churchill like talking shit to stalin because he, he really would. And he was funny as <laughs> too. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was super funny. You hear, like, recordings of him or, like, him just speaking on uh, the radio. Because him, yeah. he adopted the FDR style, like, you know, fireside chat even before FDR. Yeah. He was really mm-hmm. one of the first politicians to start doing that heavily. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have been doing it before. But in the show uh, Peaky Blinders, they, he's mm. in, like, he, a character play. A guy plays him in a couple of them great he's the character portrayal is excellent i i have seen a few episodes of that i need to get back into it man that's one of my favorite yeah i I need to start watching i kind of wish that we all lived in england but it'd be yeah if (laughs) i wonder what this show would be like if we were all just like english yeah it'd be weird i I think it would be much i think it'd be better it might be more entertaining because (laughs) in the world right now i think listening to americans is kind of boring <laughs> but uh actually i mean so that was like that's kind of the end of the speeches segment but because i was posed a question by somebody with like somewhat of urgency it was last night okay one of my friends she had called me and she asked me for some reason we were we've been in like political theory and stuff and we've been really good friends for a long time and she called me she's like i just heard something i gotta ask you about it. i was like what this is 12 30 at night last night so i was like oh this is interesting she asked me, she's like, I just saw this lady that uh, had moved to Canada in 2016. Like, remember when Trump, for, like, everyone was yeah. like, oh, I'm going to leave the country. And this isn't political, so Sam, don't even go there. This is just for context. What? <laughs> but so, like, when everyone was like, we're going to move, you know, we're leaving, whatever. And so she was one of the few people that actually did, this lady wow. that my friend was referencing. And so my friend, she asked me, she's like, the lady said that when she moved, she still has to pay taxes in the United States. So she was spending taxes in Canada and in the United States. And I was Ooh. like, that's simply not true. I've never Thanks. heard of that before. I barely pay taxes in the United States. <laughs> Why yeah. would I, you know? And I was like, no, that's the most ridiculous thing that you've ever heard. So I wanted to ask you guys, like, if you had ever heard of that before. I watched the video. It was like some TikTok video, this middle-aged woman saying, and you could tell definitely, like, what kind of person she was and but i've never heard of that before because there's obviously if you own land in the united states and you leave you'll still have to pay your property taxes Mm -hmm. but if you renounce land title you know by selling it or if you renounce your citizenship because you want to permanently switch countries which you obviously would do if you're planning on leaving the u.s forever right have yeah, I don't know what she was paying taxes for. Never heard of that. Because, like, you know, if she's in living and making an income in Canada, all she's of her taxes, taxes would be going to the Canadian government from her income and, yeah. and whatever property she owns there. 
if she, yeah, the only thing I could think of is she owns property in the U.S. and taxes on it. But like, what else? I mean, there aren't many taxes that the no, there's average not. person pays other than like income property and, uh, and I don't even I know. Heard, I'm not I an adult. There's, so. there's a fee for uh, like a base fee for renounce renouncing citizenship. It's like twenty really? three hundred dollars or something, but <laughs> but it's negotiable. So like it's you can make a case for extraneous circumstances. Okay. So you know, you're like, like Mister, I wouldn't pay that if I. I'm, yeah. I'm reading something that says that. Well, definitely, if you owe taxes, you have to pay those. But also, it says that the per the IRS, American citizens living abroad are still subject to U.S. taxation on their so, worldwide income, yeah. no matter where they what? live or work. That's, that's, well, that's, that's fucking unbelievable. If you keep your U.S. citizenship. So unless she renounced it. That's ridiculous. You so that's you're making it. money off of people that don't even live here. It doesn't. You can't be a citizen anymore, Horace. No, no, no. living living abroad. That's the whole point. Yeah, living yeah. abroad. Right. Well, yeah. That's 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 a so thing. That's if you're a U.S. citizen living abroad, that's different. But if you if you go to a country to live there and be that citizen, yeah, you might as well just get out of the U.S. I mean, then you won't only reason I, you know. I mean, I don't know. This I, is I ridiculous. Mean, citizenship is nice if you want the passport, but I imagine a Canadian passport is the same. If not, that seems ridiculous well, yeah, to I me. Mean, that if you want to live somewhere else and not pay American taxes, then you have to you have to forego your birthright as an American citizen in order to not pay taxes anymore, just because you want to live somewhere else. Yeah, that seems that's dumb. Standard. Like I feel like every country in the world would do that. Yeah, but like I don't know, man. Like I'm I'm an American by birth. Yeah. Like no one's gotta, American. none guess, of us are American. I guess it makes choice. sense. I would have to renounce my citizenship, but um, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, we're, that'll be next week's episode. We're gonna incorporate citizenship. Okay. Citizenship. That's yeah, funny. that's a. I have a, plenty of expertise in that. Yeah. As I, I am a traveling. A dual citizen. Are you really? Where? Pakistan and the U.S. No, I was being facetious. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> oh, I, I know actually quite a bit about it in terms of like grandfather laws. Yeah. And stuff like, like between the United States and Norway. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And like other Scandinavian countries. I don't know anything about like anywhere, any other region of the world. Yeah, I don't really know any outside U.S. politics. I don't pay attention to that. I'll talk to my Indian roommate. But all right. Mm-hmm. Catch, uh, that's, that's all. That's Bye all. Bye guys. Yeah. yeah. That's all I got. That's all we got. Yeah. <laughs>